but lower is always better, right? The goal is to slowly reduce your spikes, the frequency of those spikes over time. So if you're starting and you maybe have one spike a week, it might not hurt you at all, right? You could probably live a healthy life like that for a really long time, but our goal is always to optimize and continue to push the limits and try and tweak things to continue to optimize what we're seeing and how our metabolic health is, is functioning. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmet. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello and welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. But before we dive into our episode, we have a couple of really exciting announcements. We are having an invigorating lakeside community yoga class followed by a sauna and a cold plunge on the shores of beautiful Lake Minnetonka. So we've done outside yoga classes before. This time it's going to be with Andrea of Breathe and Be Yoga. But we recently met the sauna poppy and he is a local entrepreneur who is building a community called Sauna Strong, which will be in Minneapolis opening this fall. And it's a gym that also incorporates sauna, cold plunge, and breath work. And he is amazing. Marnie and I both participated in this experience. And even though neither one of us loves the cold, we were invigorated by the cold plunge. And three minutes actually went by really quickly because Louise, who is also known as the sauna poppy, really helped motivate you and guide you to keep at it and use your breath to to sit still in that cold water. And honestly, I didn't want to get out. And I'm someone who does not like the cold, who does not like jumping into a cold lake, but it is so invigorating. I was energized for the entire day. So please, please join us. It's Sunday morning, August 27th at 9 a.m. It'll be in Deep Haven. Click the link in our show notes to purchase your ticket. Space will be limited and we already have people signed up. And then the second is our, it's time for our next quarterly seven-day functional medicine liver detox. I know summer has flown by. And fall is really the perfect time to detox as we transition from a fun summer, which likely included more barbecues, social engagements, travel, and just less routine from our regular schedule and habits. So if you're ready to take your health to the next level, reset your healthy habits, and join a supportive community, then sign up for this liver detox. It's really just an amazing way within a very short period of time, seven days is all it is, to boost your immunity, reduce your toxic load, decrease bloating, increase your energy, improve your digestion, your sleep, your mood, all in one week. And you're really going to walk away with a set of tools to allow you to tune into your body's unique needs and better understand what you need to thrive. So we start on Sunday, September 17th, but you can really start a few days before or a few days after, whatever works with your schedule. Click the link in our show notes to sign up. And now we are so excited to introduce today's guest, Carly Hayes. 
who is a registered dietitian nutritionist and the senior nutrition manager for NutriSense, a company utilizing continuous glucose monitors to build personalized diet and lifestyle plans. NutriSense is on a mission to help anyone understand and reach their health potential. And Carly is very passionate about helping her team translate all this complex glucose data into actionable changes that anyone can implement into their everyday lives. So in this episode, Carly talks about how glucose can really tell you a lot about your overall health and how easy it is to monitor by wearing a continuous glucose monitor. Carly dissects the basics, so you'll walk away understanding what blood sugar is and why it's so important, metabolic health, insulin resistance, and all the factors that can cause metabolic conditions. We talk about the different ra- the ranges for blood glucose and why you want to be within a certain range. You'll learn lots of tips and hacks and strategies to stabilize your blood sugar for optimum health and longevity, and really the benefits of using a continuous glucose monitor to get personalized data to achieve your goals. And that's one thing that we know a lot of our listeners struggle with is why they're following a diet, the same diet maybe that their spouse or a friend follows or something that they see on social media, but yet it's not working for them. You'll also gain insight about both Marnie and my glucose data that we received from wearing a NutriSense CGM for a couple of weeks and how certain healthy foods cause blood sugar spikes for each of us outside of the normal range. And this is really important because I think there are certain foods that we deem to be healthy, but for a lot of people, they're not. And that's why there's just immense benefits of wearing a CGM for a month or a couple months to really get clear as to what's going on inside your body because we are all unique. So I can't recommend this episode enough and I can't recommend wearing a CGM to get some data for you so that you can really optimize your health. And ultimately, this is all about longevity and wanting to live a high quality life. So with that, let's jump right into today's conversation with Carly Hayes. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Good Health Saunas. I have had my Good Health Sauna for over a year now, and you guys, I love it so much. From the moment of purchase to the delivery and setup, Good Health Sauna staff, they've been absolutely amazing. They've answered all my questions. They did a great job with the setup. And I have started this routine where I'm working out in the morning, I'm taking a sauna, I'm showering, I'm refreshed, and I feel great for the day. And I just feel relaxed during the day. I'm sleeping better at night. And I feel like I'm really adding to my overall health and happiness. And I'm also removing toxins from my body. And I feel amazing. Infrared saunas produce penetrating heat to help you sweat and heal your body from the inside. Sweating on a regular basis in your good health sauna can help you feel rejuvenated. There are so many health benefits of regular infrared sauna use that include detoxification, immune system support, muscle repair, chronic pain relief, relaxation, deeper sleep, and so much more. I've been using my sauna now regularly for the last several weeks and love how relaxed I feel, especially when I do it in the evening as part of my routine. It really helps me unwind from the day and improve my sleep. So why not bring the benefits and convenience of the sauna experience into your home with a commercial grade Good Health Sauna? Good Health Sauna has three stores, one at the Mall of America in Minnesota and two in Wisconsin, in Appleton and Waukesha, but they ship anywhere in the U.S. For more information on the various sizes and options and for your special offer for all of our listeners, head on over to their website, www.goodhealthsaunas, with an S, 
and mention the Art of Living Well podcast. Hi, Carly. Stephanie and I are so excited to have you on our show today. We love meeting like-minded people in the health and wellness space, and you've really dedicated your life to bettering the lives of others, and we love that. So thank you. We have both really enjoyed wearing the NutriSense CGM, and it's it's so eye-opening and informative, and NutriSense offers so much education, and we're really excited to dive into that and talk about all of that with our listeners today. And CGMs are just such a hot topic in general, and I think a lot of people still don't really understand what that is and how it can help the average person, even without like a diabetes diagnosis. So anyway, we're excited to have you here. And before we dive in deep to this conversation, we're wondering if you can share with our listeners one non-negotiable for you to start each day. Awesome. Yes, I'd love to. So first of all, thank you both so much for having me. I've been diving deep into your show the past couple of weeks And I can tell that you share kind of that same enthusiasm for optimizing health and just preventative health and a holistic view of eating well, living well. And I think that's infectious to your listeners. So thank you both for doing what you do as well. But um, yeah, as you mentioned, my name is Carly and I'm a dietitian nutritionist at NutriSense. And I would say if I had to think of my non-negotiable It's got to be my gratitudes. And I'm sure that you probably hear this a lot, or maybe you're on this train as well, but I found such a big difference when I don't do those. So for anyone that maybe doesn't or isn't as familiar with it, every single day before I dive into work, before I start any work, anything that's productive for the day, I sit down and I write how I'm going to, or what I'm grateful for, for that day. And it's usually three things and they're simple sunshine. It didn't rain today. I'm in Seattle, right? So it didn't rain today. I'm so thankful for that. Um, My dog, my health, whatever it is. And then I also list three items that I'm going to do for myself to practice self-care. And usually that's like breath work, or maybe just going for a walk after my meals, or maybe it's just getting to bed early, right? Some way that I'm going to care for myself so that it's in my face first thing in the morning before any other activities of the day get me distracted and onto something else. And again, I've just found this to be so meaningful and powerful and it's easy. It takes me two minutes tops and my day is set off um, at a good start. I love that. And I actually think you are the first person that's mentioned those things. So <laughs> it's awesome. That. Well, Well, specifically the three self-care practices. And I like like setting that up in the beginning of the day and making it a non-negotiable so that you actually do it. Yeah. That's a good little ad. It's kind of like setting intentions, right? You Uh you wake up and your day can take you who knows where, but if you have those intentions in your mind from the start, you're always filtering every single thing that you do and all of your thoughts through those for the entire day. So just helpful. So Carly, we love to just share with our listeners, your story and your journey of how you, you know, became a nutritionist and ultimately came to work for NutriSense. Yes, I'd love to. So I am classically trained as a dietitian nutritionist, which means went to school for that, went through my internship. And I think I always knew I wanted to be a dietitian. My great grandmother, my Grammy was a dietitian back in the day. And she lived 101 years old. So she lived just this really healthy lifestyle. She was a great cook and just was passionate about it. So I was raised kind of seeing that as my example. And it took me a couple of years of just floundering in college and not knowing what I wanted to do before I was like, yeah, that's the thing. That's what I always wanted to do. So went to school for that, had my internship at the Memphis VA hospital. And that was 
really, really cool. But in that internship, I saw how a lack of um, you know good eating habits can impact your lifespan, your health span, and just the quality of life that you live. So when I got my first job out of that internship, I was working with people that had usually been recently diagnosed with some sort of lifestyle related condition. And you both heard this, I'm sure, but usually they came to me just from seeing their doctor. They had a new pre-diabetes, diabetes diagnosis, maybe heart disease, high cholesterol. And it was my duty, my task to kind of help them manage that condition. And I love that. I just love working with people and helping them live better lives. But the more I started working and seeing this type of thing happen, I just thought to myself, there's got to be a better way where we can get to these people before that diagnosis, right? It seemed to be that I was managing, I was kind of caring for the sick versus doing healthcare, right? And so I think that's when I started to look at maybe some alternative options that would prioritize preventative health and just reach a broader audience before those conditions even took place in the first place. And the more research I did, the more I saw that you know, upwards of 80% of those chronic lifestyle-related conditions can be prevented or at least delayed if we act early enough. And I think that's the sticking point um, and probably the, the thing that motiva- motivated me the most and drove me to do what I do is we have to act early enough. But our current healthcare system, as you both know, is more of a reactive approach, right? We see these labs, maybe our glucose, our cholesterol slowly climbing up. But really, that diagnosis is the first time we take action from a lifestyle-related standpoint. That's when I was getting referred to as a dietitian, is once that diagnosis was there. They were not doing it beforehand to kind of mitigate our risk. And when you look at the research, you know that the most power is in your hands before that diagnosis, right? By the time you get to the level of diabetes, you've already got pancreatic dysfunction. You've already reached a level where it's harder to return from. Not impossible. And that's one thing I've noticed from working at NutriSense. It's possible, but the power is really in the hands of the individual to make those changes. You just have to know where to start and you have to act early. So that's where I found NutriSense. And this was back in 2019 when CGMs were, I mean, they're still not really known to a lot of individuals outside of diabetes community, but they were really not known then. So I saw this. And I thought, this is the answer. This is what is going to work. And that's the thing that's going to click to help make those changes that I want to see. So here I am and I love it. It's awesome. And I can like feel your passion <laughs> as you're talking. I mean, you're bouncing and you're excited. <laughs> and I mean, I love that. Like Stephanie and I are both super passionate about this topic too. And I just want to throw out there that CGM stands for Continuous Glucose Monitor for listeners that don't know that because yeah. they may not. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting. I was wearing my NutriSense CGM last week. I was finishing up and someone who I came out of a gym and she's like the owner of the gym. And she was like, what's that on your arm? And I told her, and she's like, are you diabetic? I mean, because people don't know always what it is. And then a lot of people are wearing them from a preventative standpoint and an education standpoint to figure out what's going on in their body. So if you listeners out there, if you see people with like a patch on their arm, That's likely what it is, right? Right around your tricep area. So anyway. It's a great conversation starter. I've had a number of people ask me what it is also. Yes. 
and we're working on making it a fashion piece, right? I think that's <laughs> kind of a statement piece. But uh, yes, I actually have one here for anyone who's watching. This is what it looks like before you put it on. So it's essentially, I always call it, it looks like an easy button. Think of it as about two quarters stacked on top of each other. And what happens is you do insert it in the back of your arm. So there is a needle involved, but rest assured that does not stay in your skin. And you both can probably attest that it does not hurt. Yes. It hurts no. way less than a finger prick. If you've ever had one of those at your doctor's office to give blood, mm-hmm. but as soon as you put it in, you insert it, the needle comes out. And then that monitor, that continuous glucose monitor stays adhered to the back of your skin for 14 days. So you're not getting one snapshot of glucose data. So you blood sugar data, you're getting 14 days of continuous data. So all night long, all day long, you're getting that continuous kind of movie picture of what's going on under the surface. And that's what's really, really helpful. I think just to set the groundwork a little bit, a lot of people are probably um, familiar with measuring glucose if they know someone that has diabetes. So they're type one or type two. Um, If you've ever went to dinner with someone and they have to prick their finger and test their blood sugar before they eat or um, kind of dictate how much insulin they're going to give themselves based on that number, that's typically the more familiar form of testing blood sugar. But this continuous form, again, lots of benefits. It's way easier, right? You do it once and then you have all this data, less painful. Um, And then, yeah, you get more data, not just a snapshot in time. You get this movie picture of what's going on. And that's really that, um, I always think of it as lifting up the hood of your car to see what's underneath so that you can make better informed decisions about what your metabolism is doing and just your glucose in general, which we can get into why that's so important for every single person, not just individuals with diabetes. I I think that's a great idea because, you know, you hear the buzzword metabolic health and Stephanie and I understand and know what that is, but I think it would be great for you to explain, you know, how glucose relates to your metabolic health and why we want to monitor this. Yes. And I think that's a really good starting point. So when it comes to glucose, when it comes to metabolic health, really what this is in just very simple terms is how your body is using fuel. Is it using fuel appropriately to nourish your body and perform the activities of, of your life, right? So glucose is our body's preferred source of fuel. We can use ketones, we can use you know other things for fuel, but glucose is our preferred source of fuel. And our body works really hard, right? It's really, really smart to keep glucose in a very, very stable range. And that's a very small amount. That's about two, a couple teaspoons of sugar at any given time in your blood. And so we start to see issues with metabolic health when we are continuously pushing it out of that homeostatic kind of regulated range. And so what we get when we start to monitor glucose long-term or just through that CGM, right, is we get to see what is forcing our blood sugar to increase really high or even go really low, right? Pushing it outside of that normal range. And that's kind of the little yellow flags that we're looking for, right? We're not at a full-blown diagnosis. There's no red flags that we're looking for. We're looking for these little tiny yellow flags that tell us, hey, pay attention to me. Something is a little bit off here. You might need to spend some time to to kind of optimize what's happening. These factors that are causing that glucose to increase above or below where it should be. So just a clarifying point here. We're not actually measuring blood. We're measuring interstitial fluid glucose. That's just a small little difference, but that CGM It's just this little tiny microfilament that stays in the interstitial fluid, which is the fluid in between your cells. 
to measure glucose in real time. So you're not actually measuring blood, but it's the same metric, if that makes sense. The helpful clarification, because I actually hadn't heard that. But is that why some people prick their finger to like get their, to like make sure, I don't know. I was reading on the Facebook group that people prick their finger to, to like, I don't even know exactly what they were trying to do, but to like, to make sure their baseline or their number kind of match the CGM. Yes. So usually, and this is optional, you don't have to do this with a CGM because regardless of whether you, you know, so what they're doing is calibrating the CGM. Calibrating. That's the word I was looking for. So uh, CGMs, as well as finger prick devices, can be within a certain level of variance and still be considered accurate per the FDA. But what can happen, right, if you're measuring both, there can be a slight variance. And this is all like pretty nuanced. But if you think about blood sugar, you're say you eat something, right? It's going to show up as a glucose spike in your blood before it impacts your interstitial fluid. So that's kind of how the blood sugar flows. And so sometimes we'll see that the blood will increase and then the CGM increases afterwards because it's just a little bit delayed. So sometimes when you have a new CGM, because there can be that variance, you want to wait 24 hours after you activate to make sure it's stable in a good, stable place. And then you can use that one time finger prick to calibrate just to make sure those are matching up closely. And this is more important if maybe you really care about the specific value that you're seeing on your CGM. But as you both probably saw, if you hadn't calibrated, you can still see so much data. Yeah. The yeah. wings in your glucose or how much your glucose on your CGM increases is still accurate, precise in that CGM regardless. Totally agree. And I was just kind of reading the Facebook groups to understand and to see what kinds of questions people were asking. And I was just curious, but I found that I got tons of data and I'm sure Stephanie did as well, just from wearing the CGM. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Yeah. I was just going to kind of go more deep into glucose and if it does go out of range, like what does that mean for us if we do not have a diabetes diagnosis? And I think one thing, a common mis perception about glucose is that, hey, if I don't have diabetes, my blood sugar is always in a healthy range. And as you both have probably found out, and I found out as well, not always the case, right? Uh Um, There have been some studies that show that most people on occasion have glucose spikes that are outside of the quote unquote healthy range. And so this can be normal. And there's a lot of factors that influence that, but a big one is our food environment, right? We're living in this environment where there's processed foods everywhere. There's sugars in almost every single thing that we buy at the store that's processed or packaged. So we're living in this environment where all of these things that are more prone to spike our blood sugar are present and it's harder to get away from those. And also this is kind of normalized, right? If you look at what like a normal standard American diet juices in there and that's just liquid sugar, right? So orange juice can definitely spike your blood sugar, but you wouldn't know that unless you start to check it, right? And you start to see how these common foods that are normalized in our society cause those higher glucose fluctuations. And one spike, a couple of spikes, not going to hurt you. I am not concerned with that. I think sometimes that can be a fear that people have is if I start to check, is this going to stress me out? Am I going to have to monitor every single thing that I eat? No, it's more about the repetition or how often those spikes are happening because over time, right? If we're spiking repeatedly, every single meal, we're having 20 ounces of orange juice and we're spiking really, really high over time. This is the thing that can cause metabolic dysfunction and ultimately results in an increased risk of those chronic lifestyle related conditions like diabetes. So again, 
monitoring it earlier before we have those repeated spikes or just the awareness that we get when we monitor that is the thing that can help us make the changes that are going to reduce our risk and help us prevent or delay those conditions. So that's the big one. And I think, you know, that's that frames it really well because what Marnie and I have been talking a lot about lately and with some of our guests is longevity and quality of life. And so this is all preventative, you know, something that you could do. I mean, even if you just did this for two weeks, you'll learn a lot, but for like a month or two, and then, you know, and you make some tweaks and we'll get into some of the hacks and just ways that you can change even the order of you eat or how you exercise and things like that too, yeah. so that you can live a long, very high quality life and prevent these metabolic conditions. Yeah. Um, so just thinking about, you know, a, a little bit of like maybe short-term changes, we're really going to pay off dividends down the road. Oh, definitely. Um, and I think and so, thing to consider though, is that sometimes that's not the sexy thing, right? Like we know, we all know what choices we need to make. We know that we need to prioritize our health long-term, but that's easier to push off until you see that data, right? When you start to see it, right. then that's the thing that sticks. And the other right. thing that you might've noticed with CGMs is sometimes if you have larger shifts or big spikes, you start to realize maybe that contributes to how you feel throughout the day. So I think that's the thing that's sometimes more motivating in the short term is if I have a big glucose spike, my energy might drop or I might have cravings later on. So it's those fluctuations in blood sugar and glucose that sometimes make us not feel so great throughout the day. And if we can get that under control, we have short-term benefits that can keep us motivated. Yeah. So like when I wore my CGM, I kind of changed the parameters a little bit. And I'm curious what you think about that. I was you know, I, I was doing pretty well in like the parameters that NutriSense set. Yeah. And so I just made them like a little bit tighter and I wanted to see how that would change things. And the nutritionist that was assigned to me, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, had said, you know, I really don't need to do that. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Like if the, if it doesn't matter to try and stay within narrower parameters. And then the other thing you mentioned, you know, more repeated spikes out of range over time can cause metabolic dysfunction. I'm wondering what would be like, are you talking a spike once a week? Are you talking like, what, what does that mean? Like, yeah, really, really good questions. And I did notice, I think both of you changed your upper threshold to 120, right? Yes, I did. Um, Yes. So I think from the research that we've seen so far, and again, we know this is always changing. We know that we're new in this research, so this is always evolving. But from the research that we've seen so far, most people staying below 140 milligrams per deciliters without a diagnosis of diabetes is a healthy range, right? That's realistic. That's not likely to cause, you know, um, issues long-term, right? So if you're spiking below 140, most of the time, you're in a really, really good range. And I think both of you did that for the most part. I only saw maybe like two total that were over that. Um, so I think both of you do a really good job of staying kind of within that healthy range. But I think some people, if maybe they're staying within 140 and doing a great job and they want to tighten that up and challenge themselves to kind of have that more stable glucose control, that's okay. I don't think there's any harm in that. Again, unless it's stressing you out. So- <laughs> I see sometimes people will lower their glucose threshold to 120, and then they'll start to stress about any fluctuation over that. And as you both may have seen, stress, any kind of stress, mm -hmm. can also increase your blood sugar, your glucose. And so that's what we want to avoid, right? We want to avoid those larger 
spikes, even if they're from stress. So I think that's where you kind of have to know yourself and know what's realistic for you. For someone just starting out, that's maybe not as you know deep in the health space as both of you, I would say 140 is a great goal. And then if you want to experiment and kind of try tighter thresholds, totally fine. You can do that um, as long as it's working for you. That was the first part of your question. And then the second question you said was the frequency of, of those spikes, right? Mm-hmm. How, how many spikes is too many spikes? How high is too high, right? And I think those are the things that really aren't well-defined or one size fits all. So if someone is coming into the program and maybe they're spiking above 143 meals a day, every single day, I might set a goal for them to, let's try and get this to, we're going to spike just once a day. Let's try and keep this under 140 for every single meal, but this meal, right? And I think that's a realistic goal for some people for the degree of spikes that are going to ultimately result in that metabolic dysfunction. Again, I don't think that's really clearly defined, but lower is always better, right? The goal is to slowly reduce your spikes, the frequency of those spikes over time. So if you're starting and you maybe have one spike a week, it might not hurt you at all, right? You could probably live a healthy life like that for a really long time, but our goal is always to optimize and continue to push the limits and try and tweak things to continue to optimize what we're seeing and our, how our metabolic health is is functioning. So sorry, that's not a like black and white answer, but I think it depends on the person and it depends on how much you're willing to optimize that works for you. Hey guys, we wanted to tell you about one of the products that both Marnie and I use every single day, which is the plant-based amino acids from Keon. We've both been drinking their super tasty aminos every morning for many months, either before, during, or after our workouts, which really help to produce more energy, stimulate muscle growth, and help with recovery. The Keon aminos contain all nine essential amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein and important for overall health. And they now have convenient travel packs, which we both took on our recent vacation so that we don't have to go a day without our aminos. We both love that there are no artificial ingredients and our favorite flavors are cool lime and mixed berry. But Keon has many other products that we enjoy as well. My teenage son and I both take their creatine on the days that we strength train, which I mix with the aminos. My husband enjoys their mold-free coffee every day, and my family also uses their premium grass-fed whey protein isolate powder in our smoothies. So if you're focused on getting high-quality sources of protein and building lean muscle for optimum health, then we highly encourage you to head on over to www.getkeon.com, that's K-I-O-N, and use the code Art of Living for 10% off single products, 15% off bundles, or 20% off a subscription. I am such a big fan of Keon that I have their aminos, their coffee, and creatine all on subscription to maximize my savings and ensure that I never run out. And you're right, it is such an individual experiment, which is why this continuous glucose monitor is so insightful. And you can make some small tweaks and the help of the with the nutritionist and their input, I thought was really, really valuable. Um, before we dive in and talk, I, I, we do want to kind of talk more about like our personal experience and even what you saw, Carly. You know, we talk about metabolic dysfunction and a lot of people just associate when you say blood glucose with diabetes and, but 
There's lots of other conditions out there that are also been, you know, studied and shown to have correlation between your blood sugar, such as like Alzheimer's and dementia and depression. And those keep popping up more and more. And a lot of our listeners, I know, probably even have parents who have experienced these conditions and are really concerned about their health and then also like not having that happen to them. And so can you explain a little bit more about, you know, just the root of the the blood sugar and the impact that that has on some of these other health conditions? Yes. Such a great question. And I think the first thing to talk about is what a normal metabolism does when we have a spike versus maybe a dysfunctioning metabolism and kind of compare those two. So when we think about those glucose spikes, I don't want to freak everyone out by thinking they can't eat with having a spike. So first of all, every single time that we eat, we do want to see an increase in blood sugar. That is normal. That is healthy. That's what our bodies are built to process. But what we want to see, right, is a really nice shape of that glucose curve. So what I mean by that is we're going to have an increase, right? And our body is going to respond by secreting insulin to help bring that glucose down, move it into the cells so that we can use it for energy. So that's the normal function. And we want that to happen within about two to three hours after that meal. So when we look at a glucose response, we're looking at kind of the shape of that glucose curve. And if it's a normal, kind, I always call it like a rolling hill of glucose, that's good. You're in a really good place. Your body is functioning well. And so carbohydrates, as you both probably know, are the most likely to increase that glucose to those higher ranges. That doesn't mean carbs are bad. That just means that carbs are going to convert into glucose more easily. That's what they are, right? That they're our quick burning fuel. So they're more likely to cause those higher spikes. So a normal functioning metabolism you'll eat those carbs, right? You have this glucose increase, insulin is secreted, and then it brings glucose back down. So your glucose is taken up into the muscles so that you can utilize it. You can fuel your movements throughout the day. And then that liver responds by reducing how much glucose it's putting out into the body. So again, it's that self-regulating kind of homeostatic system. Now, if we have a dysfunctioning metabolism, so this is often referred to as insulin resistance, right? What happens is we eat carbohydrates, same thing happens, our glucose increases, insulin is secreted, but less glucose is taken up into the muscle, right? So our body is less sensitive to the impacts of insulin. It's just kind of not listening, right? I've got too much glucose, I can't listen to you right now, I'm gonna leave this here. And so what we start to see is that glucose stays in the blood and the body responds by secreting more insulin and more insulin because it's just not listening. So again, when then we have more insulin than we need, And we see these larger responses. So again, not that if you have one spike, you have insulin resistance. This is a bigger kind of issue and requires more testing than what you're going to see in a CGM. But again, those are kind of the differences there. And it's that repeated insulin exposure over and over again, that insulin resistance that can ultimately lead to inflammation, oxidative damage, uh, endothelial dysfunction, and then all of those things chronically over years, over decades, that's what's going to lead into those other lifestyle related conditions. You know, they're calling Alzheimer's, um, you know, a form of diabetes now, right? Type three, right? (laughs) Yes. Super closely linked. And I think it's very easy to think of, okay, glucose is fine. All I have is high cholesterol. We separate these into these silos 
when really they're all connected. They're all talking to each other. It's one part of the same system. So measuring glucose, in my opinion, is kind of the lowest hanging fruit to see what's going on so that you can make those changes that you need to. And that can make bigger changes on everything that can ultimately reduce your disease risk. So for most people, in my opinion, I think this is the easiest way to get the most information in real time. So this is so interesting to me. I'm just thinking about the person, again, that doesn't have diabetes, like the two of us, or just people that don't have all this knowledge. How long do you think a person needs to wear this before they get a handle on their body and how their body, you know, I wore it, what did we do? 14 days, I think. Mm -hmm. And I've done them before. So it wasn't my first experience with a CGM. And I felt like this second time around, I really had a much better understanding of what I was looking for. And I really liked your user experience and the the Mm -hmm. availability of the nutritionist to just, I had a quick question and I could just chat off my question. And like, Mm -hmm. that was all, I loved that. So how long would you recommend a typical person that does not have diabetes wears a CGM for? It's a great question. I think it depends on the person I've had. And I think it it depends on a lot of factors. It depends on anything else you have going on in your health, right? If you have a weight loss goal, then the CGM needs to be really helpful for that. And that Mm -hmm. might take longer periods of time. Or say you have hypothyroidism and you just want a little bit more support. It might take more time, right? But I think for the average person, maybe one month of just checking, and this kind of matches your experience. You had two sensors, right? So it's about a month of data. Each sensor lasts about 14 days to get a baseline. And I think- So many people want to put this on the CGM on, and then they want to make changes right away. But really, if you don't understand your baseline, then you're not going to know where to go with it. So I think at least 14 days of establishing a baseline, you know, what's my average glucose? How high are my spikes going? What's my glycemic variability, which is kind of the big picture of the fluctuations in your glucose. And that's a a bigger predictor of like cardiovascular risk than almost anything else, right? So I think you have to understand the data And then you can use maybe the next sensor to experiment, tweak certain things and like various factors to see how that impacts your blood sugar, right? Does it improve? Does it not improve? How do I feel? And then once you have that, it depends on what your goal is again for how long you'd continue doing that. There's another benefit of the CGM that I think is maybe one of the best ones. And that is the real time data. If you've ever worked with someone that wants to lose weight, How demoralizing, how unmotivating is it when they're putting in all the effort and they see the scale make no movement? I'm doing all the things. I'm seeing nothing. Uh, This is pointless. I don't know what I'm doing. I give up, right? And I I see this so often. We see this with yo-yo dieters all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's because you don't see the good changes or the good decisions you're making in real time. And that's where the CGM is I think key (laughs) because if you're struggling with like staying on track or making good decisions or just staying motivated on a certain plan, CGM is not going to wait two weeks to show you that your results are happening in real time. You will see, did this meal help me or did this meal not do so well for me? And I think that's the thing when you start to see in real time, wow, this decision really paid off or, oh boy, I shouldn't do this again. That's when those decisions can stick and ultimately result in the sustainable plan that's going to work for you long-term. So you can know all the things, but unless you're seeing it, it, it is less likely to sick. I think that's such a great benefit that I hadn't really focused on actually. And I think that also wraps in 
the bio-individuality, meaning that everyone is unique and different. And you could be eating what society has deemed to be healthy foods, right? Yeah. Um, but they're spiking your blood sugar or, you know, even, I mean, Marnie and I, you know, individually, if you looked at us having the same meal, we could have a very different blood glucose response. So it's not like and people get frustrated because they're eating what someone told them, or they're eating a diet, or they're only eating so many calories. And it's not about the, the number necessarily. It's about what kind of calories you're eating and even the order that you eat the food yeah. and what you do, what you do before and after in your stress state while you're eating it, you know, and digesting. So there's so many factors. And I think this really just personalizes, it personalizes and makes everyone's health, you know, individual, which it, which it is. Yeah. And then it gives them like, oh, that's why, you know, like that aha. And then they don't yes. get so demoralized. So, and it's motivating. Like I, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to lose weight, but like when I would see certain spikes or whatever, it would make me think twice about, I don't even know what food off the top of my head, but whatever it was, be like, hmm, I wonder why that spiked. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't eat that as much. Or maybe if I'm going to eat that, I'm going to take a 20 minute walk afterwards, or, you know, to stabilize my blood sugar or whatever it is. I, I found it very motivating. And you, I did you the point too, is like, there's so much nutrition noise. You know, you can go online and see a, a compelling argument to follow almost any diet. And some of these diets are crazy. Remember like the, um, what was the, the cereal diet. Remember you're supposed to replace two of your meals with cereal every day, right? You can find oh evidence to support any diet. And sometimes you'll see tons of people in which that diet went what worked well for. And that's awesome. Whatever works for you, that's cool. But I think it's easy to say, well, this worked for this person. I should follow that too. But really, like you mentioned, there's so many interpersonal variances from person to person that might influence how you respond to a food or whether it's sustainable for you. And if you're not seeing that, if you're if you're just following a prescription plan, you might be missing the whole point. So I love that point. So do you have any insights, Carly, from what you saw? I know you had a quick look at our data and just any observations that you'd like to share. I mean, we're we're open to hearing it and, may, and, may, and how this could impact, you know, a listener who wants to become a user of your CGM. Yeah. And I just I just have to throw out there before you do that. It was my 50th birthday, one of the weeks that I was wearing this. And so I, I was indulging in some more cake and desserts than I normally would, but I kind of <gasps> wanted to see what my body would do on that. So just throwing that out there. <laughs> That's so important. Again, I see so many people that put this CGM on and then they become perfect angels, right? I don't want to see this blood sugar spike, right? Which is also, again, a benefit of the CGM. You have that like reminder that you don't want to see that glucose spike, but I think you have to test all the things. You have to see the data for it to make an impact on your decisions long-term. So I always say, test all the things, go travel, do all your things. And then once you have that data, then you can start to think, okay, what are some small tweaks that I can make to maybe in the future mitigate this a little bit? And you might not mitigate every spike. You might not. And I don't, right? There's certain times when I'm like, you know, it is my birthday and I am going to have this coconut cake and that is just going to happen. And I'm going to have a spike, but maybe like you had mentioned, maybe I'll add a walk afterwards so that my muscles utilize that glucose and I can reduce the degree of that spike, right? There's small little things that make a meaningful impact regardless of where you are or what you're doing. And so you can still love your foods. You can still enjoy all the things, but now you have more power, more data to make small changes. So one of the things that actually I saw both of you had sometimes larger spikes at in, in later in the day. I don't know. Did you both notice this? It seemed to be like later in the evening, like 
your glucose throughout the day, maybe have like something small fluctuations, which is normal, which is good. But later in the evening, there was like most of your lower responses to meals. And just so that your listeners know, in the NutriSense app, whenever you eat, we ask you to log a meal. And this doesn't, you don't have to like log every ingredient, but just a general description of what you're eating so that the app will calculate kind of a score for you. And that's taking into account all of those things that we talked about, how high your glucose spiked, how big your glucose spike was, and then whether you came down within that two hour range. So there, your lowest scores, a couple of those were dinner times. And I would say this is a really like common thread, common trend that I see in almost anyone, myself included, is that dinner time values are typically higher. Did either of you notice that at all? I didn't. You know, normally they're not, but I did a few times. Yeah. Um, and one time I actually ate, I did eat pasta. I don't eat a lot of pasta. Um, it was like a gluten-free pasta. And I even added tons of veggies and like a chicken sausage. And I thought, well, I'm eating some veggies first and a couple bites of sausage. And it still spiked more than I was anticipating because I was focused on the fiber and the protein. Yeah. So I was surprised about that one. It was much lower. And I've also noticed before that like cabbage and certain vegetables or even a little bit of sweet potatoes, even if I'm also eating protein and other veggies, it spikes my, it doesn't matter for me. It just, it spikes. So the first hack you mentioned is, you know, eating your vegetables, eating your protein first. And I feel like more people are kind of aware of this now, which is awesome, but you can mitigate how high your glucose spike is by having protein and veggies before your carbohydrates. And that's because like I mentioned, your carbohydrates are your quickest burning fuel, right? They're the quickest to turn into glucose. So we actually can start digesting carbohydrates before we even swallow them, right? We have enzymes in our mouth that can start to break those down, which can mean that this is going to impact our glucose more rapidly than any other nutrient, right? So if you have your protein, your veggie first, those take a little bit longer to process and they can kind of blunt that spike. So you hear about that as like meal sequencing, you know, you just sequence your meals, greens, protein, then carbs, and that can make a huge impact on how high your, your glucose goes. And then the second one, and this is more towards the dinner values is our insulin sensitivity. So how well we respond to glucose, how well we respond to meals is really closely linked to our circadian rhythm, right? So hmm. our body's kind of natural clock. So what that means is usually we'll have higher responses when it's later in the day and because insulin sensitivity is lower at that time, right? You think about it from our body's perspective, the body is prepping for nighttime, right? Melatonin's going up. We're getting ready for bed. We're getting ready for rest and digest, relax. So what that means is insulin sensitivity comes down. So foods that might do well for you, or even portion sizes of carbohydrates that usually work well for you might spike you really high at night. And sometimes I think that can be really shocking, right? Cause you're like, I just had this for lunch and I was fine. What's what's going on here. And usually it's just that timing, right? So we can adjust either the timing of the meal, have it earlier in the day or adjust the portion size. So for me, what I found is I can have carbs at night, but I just can't have as much as I do for the rest of the day. So it's usually a very, very small amount after I've eaten my protein, after I've eaten my veggies and I'll try and go for a walk or get some movement afterwards again, to help my muscles utilize that glucose. But it's just something I have to be conscious of and, and make that small tweak. So when you're saying you noticed the elevations with us, were you saying like outside of the 140 range or are you just saying it just spiked yeah. higher than you'd expect, I guess? 
Good question. And that's a good clarifying question. So sometimes I'll say glucose spikes and they mean just glucose increases, not necessarily like a bad spike. And sometimes yeah. I'll say spikes when they're actually high. So right. again, both of yours were pretty well controlled. I think you had, so uh, Marnie, I saw like a chicken fajita dinner. You spiked to like 145. Yes, I remember that. You told me and about I, that, Marnie. I, I was so surprised because I it was homemade. Everything was like homemade. But I did eat a tortilla. I, oftentimes I won't. And I did eat a store-bought tortilla, but I had avocado and lettuce and like no salsa or anything. And it was, yeah, uh, yeah. no cheese. Well, you know, you know I noticed one thing, and maybe this was one of even the dinners, it was corn. And it was the little, little, littlest bit of corn. And my kids like yep. it. So I put it on a salad. And that little bit of corn will get me every time. So it's like, for me, it's almost, it's like the beans. And the corn and the sweet potatoes, which are, you know, those are all healthy vegetables, carb, right? healthy. I'm not, you know, but yet I can eat any dessert after a meal. And I rarely, and I'm not saying any dessert because I eat, you know, dark chocolate. I, I eat a lot of like homemade things that don't have a ton of added sugar, but I can eat that after a really good meal and I'll get like an eight out of a 10. Yeah. Me dessert. <laughs> so it's like the dessert doesn't bother me. I mean, I'm when yeah. I eat sweet potatoes. It's like crash and burn. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I think there's probably a couple of factors there, right? So I think sweet potatoes, you might be eating with the meal. And so sometimes dessert is a little bit afterwards. So you might be blunting that a little bit by having that time in between. And that's something that I've seen really work, right? So if you're going to have dessert, yeah. don't have it first in the meal, have it afterwards and have a small. Right. And another thing too, is again, we really have a carbohydrate threshold. And what I mean is you, we have to have a space for that glucose to go. And again, that's in your muscles, right? So we only have a finite amount that we can move into the muscles. So if we're not utilizing those muscles, that storage space is going to be less. And a lot of times that's at night, right? When we're relaxing for the day, we're not walking around doing things. We're just chilling. So we have less glucose storage space a lot of times at that time. So it's a double-edged sword, right? We're responding higher to carbohydrates and we have less place to put them. So a lot of times just playing with those and, and finding the carb threshold that works for you at those times of day can make a huge, huge difference. What else did you notice? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I want to give you some props because both of you eat a very, very like whole food, nutrient dense diet. So I think that's probably the reason why most of your glucose spikes spikes, see glucose increases were within range. And even if they looked higher, again, you guys both set them your threshold at 120. So that caused some of them to look like they were higher, but almost all of your responses were below 140. There was only a couple that were a little bit higher. So Stephanie, I actually noticed you had a spike to uh, like a stir fry. Do you remember this? It was like 141. So like right at threshold. Yeah pork stir fry. And my thought was, was there a sauce in that that was like an Asian themed sauce or anything else? You know, I use coconut aminos and I don't typically add any other like sweetener or anything. I mean, I'll, I'll occasionally if I make it too spicy, I'll add a little honey just to like for my kids. Yeah. So it's not too, super spicy, but yeah. cabbage is another one. And I usually put cabbage in a lot of those stir fries. Mm -hmm. And I have noticed that cabbage for me sometimes you know, it doesn't like, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Cause that's another like healthy yeah. vegetable. That's a, a less common spiker, I would say, cause it's very, very low carb. But again, yeah. everyone has different responses to food. So we have yeah. 
such different microbiomes that influence how we respond to foods, different genetics. There are so many different factors that are kind of imperceivable to the eye that can influence how we respond to a given food. A right. good example of this, my, my colleague and I are roughly the same age. We both strength train. We're both eat a very similar diet, but she spikes really high to sweet potatoes and I have really good responses. Right. And yeah. I found that some of those like food rules, right. Eat sweet potatoes because they're lower in glycemic index. Yeah. Sometimes they just don't work for certain people. So those they don't spike people, me. Yeah. And they're so jealous. I don't eat a lot of sweet potato either. Like I just not. No, I I honestly stopped because of, I mean, I'm not saying I will never eat them, but I eat fewer and I can eat regular roasted like red potatoes. I bake them in the oven and I eat them at the end of the meal and nothing. Yeah. But if I do that with sweet potatoes. So anyway, it's just, it's information for people to like think about. One, one thing I noticed that I'm just remembering now as we're talking is that, so I am a person that wakes up in the morning and I will drink my amino acids while I work out, but I, I work out before I eat anything. And mm-hmm. every time it would spike and it wouldn't spike out of range, but whether I was lifting weights or doing cardio, I was spiking my blood sugar just by exercising. Yes. And that is something we see all the time. So usually this happens. So you can have a glucose spike from exercise and usually you see, or you exercise because you want to bring that glucose down, right? You want to utilize your muscles, utilize that glucose. But if you are fasted or if you are having like really high intense intensity exercise, like a HIIT workout or something like that, we will see these spikes. And that is because the demand for energy for fuel exceeds what you have available in the blood, right? So your body's Mm. like, shoot, I got to pump out this stored glucose, or I got to create more glucose so that we don't bonk. And if you think about it from your body's perspective, that's smart. It is much better to increase glucose. And I think yours, I did see that. I think you only spiked to like 124 with your, or at least the exercise that I did see. And that's okay. Fine. That's good. That that's the small. I just noticed the up. It wasn't necessarily yeah. the number. Yeah, but it's. I mean, that's opposite of what you would think. So I could see how you know you want to dive into that. But if the body doesn't do that, we have the upper. You know, we could have hypoglycemia, right? If we don't have enough fuel available, like in the case of a fasted workout, we could bonk. So the body is like, I'm going to create glucose, and that's just your your body kind of taking care of you. And those bikes okay. are not concerning because they're not insulin mediated. So we don't need insulin to kind of bring that back down. Okay. Unless you're spiking really high, which we've seen with like some CrossFit workouts, maybe if you're not like physically fit enough to, to handle that, or you're, you know, there's some things we can do to adjust that, but typically not a concern um, as long as you're within a good range. So I know we touched on this a little bit just in this conversation, but can you share any other lessons that you've learned from viewing you know, thousands of members of glucose data and simple hacks that you could share with our listeners. Obviously, we highly recommend trying out your glucose monitor because I do think it's super valuable information. But even if someone's not yet ready to dive into that, what can they do just to be more mindful of it and how they're eating? Great question. And I agree. I think CGM, I would recommend everyone tries a CGM at least once in their life. But if you're not there, or if this isn't working for you, there's still so many things that you can do to improve your metabolic health or just small little tweaks, like we mentioned, that you can apply to your daily life. So we already talked about a couple of the big ones, eat your protein, eat your veggies first. And then other one is try and eat earlier in the day. If you're eating later in the evening, you are probably going to have a larger response 
and that's going to sometimes impact your sleep. So those are the the two big ones that are pretty easy. So at least three hours from bed, you want to stop your eating window, but the earlier, the better. The other thing that I always tell people to try and do if they can is get some movement after you eat, especially meals with higher carbohydrates. And this is again, because your muscles are what's going to kind of be that sink for your glucose and kind of soak it up. So if you are moving your muscles and this can be something simple as like a walk, or if you can't go for a walk, stand instead of sit, don't sit at your desk after you eat something to get your muscles so that they're working, they're contracting after you eat so that you're utilizing that incoming glucose more effectively, more efficiently. And that's when I think it just takes repetition. If you could start to get into the habit of five minute walk afterwards, standing for 20 minutes after you eat, that can make a huge, huge impact on your blood sugar. Is there an amount of time you need to like do that before it doesn't do anything for you? Like sometimes I'll say, okay, I want to take a walk after dinner. But by the time we have dinner, I clean up the kitchen. I help my kid with something, whatever. An hour has passed. Do you still get benefits or is it kind of like, oh, you're too late? Yeah. Well, I would think if you're getting your kid ready, if you're doing all you're probably moving anyway. So that's a good thing that you're active afterwards and you're that's kind of true. <laughs> Usually from the research we've seen so far, I think, you know, closer to your meal is ideal. So if you can move okay. and and that's could be, that's a really great tip is like, try to do some chores, fold laundry, do something after you eat. Don't just sit on the couch. So that, um, within about 25 to 30 minutes after eating tends to have the best impact from what we've seen so far, but okay. anything's better than nothing. If it's an hour afterwards, you're still utilizing that incoming glucose. So the benefits are still there. Awesome. Well, these are great tips. So thank you. And I know we're going to have to start wrapping up this conversation, but Carly, where can people learn more about NutriSense, find you? I know you guys are offering our listeners a special on a CGM, if you could share that info. Yes. Um, so if you want to learn more about glucose or CGMs or the company in general, you can follow us. We're on all socials. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at NutriSenseIO. And I think, like you mentioned, some people don't want to wear a CGM and that's totally fine, but we're always posting research and ways to get involved and ways to apply these glucose hacks to your daily life. So just join the conversation. I think that's a good first step. And then if you want to learn more about me, I'm on LinkedIn, Carly Hayes. So uh, message me if you're interested in talk talking more. Uh, but yeah, try the CGM if this you know works for you and get some data for yourself. I think that's my big takeaway and we can we can get into that, but... Uh, you have the power to make big changes in your in your life and in your health span, and you just got to act. That's awesome. I couldn't agree more. And I do think that your product does empower people because of that quick data, real-time information, like you said, not having to wait or see if the number moves on the scale or anything like that. So I was just going to say, I know you're offering our listeners a $25 discount off their first month, and the code is Art of Living Well 25 and we really recommend that you take advantage of this because we, Stephanie and I both have loved our experience and the knowledge that we received from wearing them. And just, it's very user-friendly. The interface is really slick, I feel, and lots of good educational content out there, like videos and audio and reading. So you're kind of like catering to all different users as far as how you like to um, learn and receive information, which I thought was great. Yeah. And I think the cool thing too, and you both had this, is you get paired with a professional that knows this stuff. So sometimes when you start yeah. to look at this data, you're, even if you think you know what to do, it's hard to know what to do, right? You're looking mm -hmm. at, it's like a glucose graph. 
So uh, having that trained professional to help you make sense of the data and then just apply it to whatever your goal is, I think it's the key for making it understandable and, and kind of tangible to everybody. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been so, this conversation has just flown by. I'm sure Marnie and I could talk to you for another hour here, but um, as we wrap this up, one question we'd love to um, ask all of our listeners is what does the art of living well mean to you? I love that question. And I would say the art of living well is living with intention. I, I'll wrap this up kind of how I started the conversation, right? If you are just flying by in life, um, you know, these things can happen and they can sneak up on you. Because if you don't act early enough, if you don't act with intention, then you're 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 kind of letting your life or your health span be in someone else's hands. So I would encourage everyone just to take the reins and um, live intentionally. Beautiful. I love that. Yes. Yes. We love this question. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your knowledge and your energy and just your passion for really helping people take health into their own hands and live a long, healthy and happy life. So. Thank you both. Yeah. And have a great have a day. Great. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the art of living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.